Hi, I'm Darren Wright. And I'm Tim Beadle. Welcome to Disciple Making. Welcome back to Disciple Making. This is Darren Wright here with another solo episode. Looking forward to getting together with Tim here soon, probably this week. So in a week or two, our next shared episode should be up. This is the audio from a video I did on Komodo dragons and disciple making. It's really about how a video clip I saw highlighting what the video maker considered the greatest sentence in Wikipedia made me think of this sentence in the book Contagious Disciple Making, which is a powerful sentence, really a powerful paragraph that continues to challenge me. This is somewhat related to uh, the recent podcast and video on Is the Bar Too Low? And the purpose of this is not to induce guilt, but really to call us to rise to a challenge, a challenge that I think is always in the background and often does induce guilt, but I hope this will be motivational and will help us see that there is actually something we can do very concretely that will make us more effective in disciple making here. So thanks for jumping in and uh, let's take a look here at Komodo Dragons and disciple making. Hi, I'm Darren Ride from 12 Church where we are all in on mission with Jesus. Or are we? Am I? Are you? There's a fellow on YouTube I follow named Gerald Undone. It's a camera channel where he does reviews of camera equipment. Some of it's very technical and pretty much incomprehensible except for the most techie person. But recently he came out with a video on the greatest sentence in Wikipedia. And it was completely different from anything else on his channel. It had nothing to do with cameras or camera gear. It just had to do with what he considered the greatest sentence in all of Wikipedia. And the sentence was found in the entry on Komodo dragons. What made it even funnier for those of us who watch Gerald is because it was so out of character for him. I'm not going to share the details of the greatest sentence. I'll, I'll put the link down below. You can find him, Gerald Undone, on YouTube. Look for his entry on Wikipedia. The day after watching this video from Gerald, I was reading the book Contagious Disciple Making by Watson and Watson, a book that is shaping me quite dramatically. And I came across what may be, and the reason is I link these two together, what may be the greatest sentence in a disciple-making book, or certainly in this disciple-making book. Let me read it for you. It's in the chapter on prayer, and he talks about how they looked at their top disciple-makers, how their top-tier disciple-makers had started about an average of 20 churches per year. And by church, they mean a group of people who are gathered, who are followers of Jesus, starting to live out the life. It might be a small group, typically a pretty small group. Their top uh, disciple-making people had started 500 churches in the previous year. So that's kind of the background. People who are really reaching a lot of people for Jesus. And then this sentence, this paragraph. These leaders spent an average of three hours per day in personal prayer. They spent another three hours in prayer with their teams every day. These leaders were not all full-time religious leaders. In fact, most of them had regular jobs. They started their days at 4 a.m., and by 10 a.m., they were at work. These top performers also spent one day per week in fasting and prayer. The whole team spent one weekend per month in fasting and prayer. And this led to their conclusion that a prayer movement precedes every disciple-making movement. 
I immediately took a picture of that page and sent it to several people with the comment. If you're ever wondering, or if anybody asks why there's all kinds of miracles and conversions and moves of God over there and not over here, this might be a part of the answer. Now, when we come across things like this, where we learn that in whatever area we're trying to be successful, we are functioning far below what is required to be successful, there's a temptation to either quit or to rise to the occasion. It also causes me to ask the question, am I really all in on mission with Jesus? Or am I just sort of in, sort of on mission, sort of with Jesus? What would it look like practically to be all in on mission with Jesus? I shared recently how I'm still coming to grips what it means to live on mission totally apart from my vocational role as a pastor. And I realized how I wasn't necessarily all in on mission as a paid pastor, even as a vocational pastor, due to compartmentalization, or maybe to make it sound more spiritual, due to boundaries. The idea that sometimes I'm working and sometimes I'm off. And when I'm off, hey, I'm not really on mission because, hey, I'm a pastor and I'm off. I can take a break. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? That mindset kind of reminds people who say and teach and practice the idea that if you tithe, if you give 10% to God, you know, that's, that's God's stuff. The rest is yours to do whatever you want with. No, it's not. It's all His, including all your time and all your opportunities and all your relationships forever. That's what it means to be a steward. That's what it means, biblically, to be all in, to offer ourselves completely to Him. It's all his. We are all his. There is no compartmentalization. There is no boundary when it comes to that issue. Now, the immediate pushback, both in my mind, I'm sure in your mind, in the mind of others is, what about life balance? What about boundaries? What about self-care? And yes, we can talk about those things and think about them, but we, we can't think about them the way they're commonly thought of in our culture. Because a biblical life, a life on mission, doesn't revolve around time off doesn't revolve around leisure, doesn't revolve around getting ready for retirement when we can say we've done our part. Here's a few passages of scripture that come to mind when I ask the question, what about life balance? What about appropriate boundaries while we're on mission? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Paul in Philippians 4, I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances, and you can read a list of the circumstances he was in. Romans chapter 12, offer your body as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual, reasonable, logical act of worship. I think of the story of Mary and Martha, where Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, but Martha was running around trying to get everything ready for the meal. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, settle down. Mary's got her priorities straight. Then there's Jesus saying to his disciples, don't fear those who can kill the body and after that can do nothing. Don't be afraid of those who can merely kill you. There's a boundary. Don't worry about those people. And what I see in scripture when I put on the lens of life balance and boundaries and all of that kind of thing, I see that the idea of balance isn't really what we call balance. It's a, it's a very decisive imbalance and it's tilted heavily towards eternity. Dallas Willard has made the observation that we have a problem with our theology of discipleship. And the problem is this. We've come to the place where we think people can believe in Jesus and not follow him. People can believe in Jesus and not follow him. Do you believe that? Willard then goes on to observe that what this leads to 
is pastors trying to get people to live out the implications of something they haven't committed to. Been there, done that. What an absolute waste of time. In the Contagious Disciple-Making book that I read from earlier, they say that when they find people who are called Christians, who are converts, but not actually followers of Jesus, they treat them as if they're lost. They basically say, we don't treat them like Christians. We treat them as people who need to repent, believe, and start to follow. That seems to align with what Jesus taught. He said in Mark 8, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Have I really left everything to follow Jesus? Have you? Am I really all in on mission with Jesus? Are you? So what's the next step? How do we land this? I would say, let's have the courage to ask the question. Lord, am I actually following you the way you want to be followed? Have I actually left everything? Have I actually taken up my cross to follow you? Ask the question, listen for the answer, and then take the next step in following. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to imakedisciples.com or christfollowerdna.com. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.